Uh, Okay, let's look at our scripture that can be found in the inside of the bulletin. This is Luke 18, 1 through 8. Luke 18, 1 through 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you saw, in fact, I haven't seen the paper. I have seen the website. Uh, But if you go onto the website, the front page has yours truly uh, on the cover. And here it is, myself, Carlos Rodriguez caption, which says, uh, heads out to the windblown Chesapeake Bay with his boogie board on Saturday, September 3rd, 2016. I look a little bit like a duck-like figure as I wallow into the water, thankfully not to be swept away. My kids and I wanted to go experience the elements, and so we went to the bay, and it just happened there was a Virginian pilot, a photographer. I'm used to the paparazzi, so it was nothing to me. But, uh, you know, there I am again, you know, in, in in the paper. You know, the big question mark was, can you get out past the breakers? You know, there's this wind that's just blowing in, and, uh, you know, the, the, the sea is, you know, the breakers are just hitting, and so I headed out in my, uh, you know, my, my boogie board and my uh, fins there, trying desperately to get out, and I'd get a little bit further, and then the wave would come, and it would smack me and push me back, and, you know, it's like uh, one step forward and two steps back, and after, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes of trying to get out there, I finally... Uh, capitulated and let the water just sort of take me back in. I wasn't able to get there. I, I, I just got exhausted by the waves. And as I was on the shore and thinking about this sermon, I thought to myself, sometimes that's how faith feels. You know, it's, uh, you're trying to get to a certain destination. You're trying to get past the breakers, so to speak, uh, to this life of peace this life of faith, this life of joy that Christ uh, promises to us, and yet it feels like that with every past, we get smacked in our face by whatever particular breaker hits us, whether it's particular circumstances or a relationship with someone, a comment by someone, or just the sense that our prayers are not making it past the ceiling of our bedroom. It's very easy to get weary possibly lose hope, turn and head for shore and say this must be for somebody else but I for whatever reason don't have the ability to reach and make it into the deeper waters of Christianity. This is what Jesus is talking about in this particular passage. We read in verse 1, he says that he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. 
Jesus knows that they are going to be losing heart. In fact, I believe the NIV says, and not give up. That there, is a tr there are troubled waters ahead of them. Jesus right now is heading to Jerusalem with the disciples along. Jesus is going to be uh, put to trial and is going to be tried and condemned and crucified. The disciples are going to have to run for their very lives. They're going to experience a lot, a lot of pain and questioning. They've been with Jesus for the last three years. They've seen unbelievable miracles. And he's going to be taken away from them. They're going to have the temptation to lose heart. He's gone. He's not with us. All is lost. And the kingdom that seems so close in the person of Jesus Christ, as he healed lepers, as he gave sight to the blind, as he fed the 5,000, it's going to seem oh so long away. <clears throat> Jesus said in the, the chapter right before, verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. This longing that he told you about and you will not see it. Rather, it will be replaced with the antagonism of the world that communicates to them, your Savior is gone. It was all a pipe dream. Stop trusting. Indeed, life will feel like it's continuing to go on. People getting married and planting and building. And it seems like nothing ever is going to change. There will be a temptation to give up. And so Jesus gives to the disciples in advance the antidote. He told them that they ought to pray and not give up. And not lose heart. It seems that prayer is the inverse of not losing heart. Well, we don't understand that. Excuse me, the disciples didn't understand that. And so Jesus used a parable. A picture to help illustrate what he's talking about. In a certain city, he said, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So our character number one is a judge. It's a local judge in a certain city. It means he's a magistrate. He's in charge of deciding the regular affairs of the people. People come to him, they bring their case before him, and he is the arbiter, deciding who gets what, whether their claim is to be upheld or their claim is to be denied. To be put in such a position means that he's a very important person. He wields a lot of power. But unfortunately, he's a bad judge. He's a bad judge for two reasons. Number one, he doesn't fear God. Now, why is this bad? It's bad because he does not have any sense that there is any higher standard to which he is going to be called to account to. In other words, he is the final arbiter of right and wrong. There's no one that he will ultimately give an accounting for his judging. He doesn't fear God. In fact, that was one of the requirements of being a judge. I think of 2 Chronicles 19.7, when Jehoshaphat appointed judges throughout Judah, his charge to them included the admonition to let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Not for this judge. He not only did not fear God, but he didn't respect man. What that means is he didn't have any innate sense of ought. Right and wrong, justice should be served. Whether they were the greatest man or they were the smallest uh, widow with any power. His judgments were arbitrary. He really didn't care. So this is about the worst judge you want if you're going to go. It's interesting. We 
you know, when you go and you, one of the questions that you always ask your attorneys, tell us about the judge. What are they like? Well, if you had an attorney, they would be saying, this is not the one you want to get. Well, who is the plaintiff? Verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, the fact that she's a widow and she is coming tells us something. She has no kinsman to come for her. It was males that had the standing and the power. They would come in her stead if anyone existed to come in her place. But there is no one. And so it is the widow herself who is coming. And what was she doing? She was pleading, give me justice against my adversary. This clearly was no sort of esoteric or trivial matter that the widow would do this. No, this is obviously dealing with survival. It's dealing with provision. See, this woman does not have any real means to care for herself. And so whatever the problem or issue is, it is life-threatening. It deals with protection. This is life and death to this woman. And so it would make sense that she would come. In fact, not only once, but that she would keep coming. We don't know how often she kept coming. We just know that she kept coming. Now keep in mind the difference between these two people. One has the highest standing of all. He's the judge. The other is the lowest figure of society. The widow. This man has all the power in the, word, in the world. What he says goes. This woman has no power whatsoever. The one is just. The woman is coming because of an issue of justice. She believes in her claim. The other is unjust and arbitrary. He doesn't care. Jesus is showing in this parable such a difference between these two. And yet, this woman keeps coming. I wonder, did she become discouraged at any time? The third or the fourth time maybe? When she asked for justice and didn't receive it? Why didn't she just give up and stop? I think the woman was weighing her options. And at the end of the day, she was trapped. This may have been a horrible option, but it was her only option. This man is the only one that can solve my problem. And so this gets to the first point of what Jesus is trying to communicate. That prayer is belief. Prayer is believing. Jesus responds, will not God give justice to his elect? See, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. From this corrupt judge to God who is the ultimate judge. The judge has no character. But God's character is known. Deuteronomy 10.17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 89.14 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, O God. Love and faithfulness go before you. 
See, the judge doesn't care at all. But God cares infinitely. And so it says, will not this God who cares for His elect, will He not act? What does this mean? God who cares for His elect. You could translate elect as chosen. Will not the God of the universe care for His chosen? Not the ones who chose Him, but rather the ones that God chose. That God put value on. Will not, says God. Behold, He who keeps you will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will be your keeper. The Lord will be the shade at your right hand. God is showing Jesus Christ in this passage how we are to approach God. He's saying that we too, like the disciples, will have trouble. The world will push back at us and will say, where is this Christ that you have been talking about? Life continues to go on. We will experience the long pause in between the already of Christ having accomplished salvation and not yet to come and make everything right. And there will be a battle that we will experience to believe His words. The disciples will be tempted to give up. Surely we will be tempted as well. But Christ calls us to rely on a different power. Not on an unjust, arbitrary judge, but on His promises, His character. The fact that God is the giver of our life. He's the one that gives us hope. And He's ultimately the one who gives us justice. Prayer is ultimately confidence that God listens and God cares and a choice to believe. I remember a situation before I was a pastor. In another life, I was a business guy and a real estate investor. One time I was an owner, a part owner in 15 different properties. Right about at the time uh, that the real estate market was tanking. It's all about timing, isn't it? Well, there was this one particular property and I'd managed to extricate myself from a variety of the properties, but this one I really was in a bind with. I had a partner in the deal, though my name was on the note. And for all of a sudden, my partner, who was in charge of paying the note, ditched me. He just went AWOL. And I finally caught up with him. He just made the decision, I'm not going to be a part of this. And I, my name was on the note. So all of a sudden, it was on me. I could have looked to the bank, but the bank had no mercy. I needed help. Luckily, I had some friends. Two of them. They were brothers. And they were extremely gifted real estate investors. Very, very, very good at what they did. They were competent. They had the power to take situations like this and turn them around. But more than competency, they cared. They were my friends. They cared for me. I didn't know where else to go. I went to them. I explained my plight. They thought through and they pulled out their pencil and their calculator. And they figured out a way to go forward. They stepped in. They showed a path. They put their considerable resources on the line to make this work. And it did work. It was my belief. Maybe it was my sense of there's nowhere else to go. But that these guys can do something. 
that led me to them. See, Jesus is saying there are two options in our Christian faith. To either pray or to lose heart. So where do you go for justice? Where do you go for hope? Maybe it's my resources. I have the ability. I have the skill. I can weather this storm on my own. I'm a rock. I'm an island. I don't need anyone, even God. I'll show God that I'm strong enough. That's not the answer. Or maybe we go to unjust judges in our lives. We go to society for validation, for the emptiness in our heart. We go to unreliable friends who said they would be there in a pinch, but they're not. Maybe even reliable friends. Maybe even a, you have a faithful spouse. There's nothing wrong with leaning upon people who love us and care for us. But as much as I love my wife and as faithful as she is to me, she doesn't have the power of God. See, the issue, my friends, is simply this. Our problems are too big and God is too small. But Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and lean upon me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so Jesus is saying, believe. Put your hope in me. Take your hope off of yourself, off of others, and place it squarely on my shoulders. Have a single-mindedness like this woman, this widow. For will not God give justice to His chosen who cry out to Him day and night? Well, this brings me to my second point. Number one, if prayer is belief. Number two, prayer is power. What was the result, the end result of this widow and her actions? Verse four, for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. And he acted. Notice for a while. We don't know how long it was. But for a while he refused. It wasn't that he simply said to the widow, let me think about this. Come back at another time. He said no. No. This woman comes again with her impassioned plea. Ah, I don't think so. Now nope, serve lunch. This goes on again and again. He's refusing her. He's not even giving her, I mean, maybe the courtesy, I don't know. Oh, I'll think about it. No, he's refusing. But slowly, after the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth try, I don't know. Afterward, the dam begins to break, doesn't it? Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So what is the cause in the because why he changes? It's not remorse. It's not all of a sudden seized with, oh my gosh, you know, I feel for this woman. Or I should do the right thing. No, he's exasperated. This woman keeps coming. She's like the breakers. She's like the waves that continue upon me. See, he's astonished by this woman. She's acting so far out of the norm with her station. The way it works is someone like this should come, humbly bow before him, ask, be refused, and go never to be seen again. But the next day, maybe even that afternoon, there she is knocking at the door again. 
This isn't the way it's supposed to work. In fact, he says, so that she will not beat me down. This is actually in Greek, it's a boxing term. So she will not give me a black eye. She will not slug me. Okay, there's no indication that she's actually going to do physical violence. But he, that's what he feels like. She's beating him down. And so think about this. This radical change of position. Remember the judge and the widow? And yet by persistence, who is the one that has the power? And who is the one who is the victim? It's an exact opposite. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? No, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. See, God is showing how we are to approach him. Some of us may come to, with the attitude, oh, he's too busy. He doesn't have time for me. Or God is an unjust judge. It's completely arbitrary. It's not that way at all, is it, according to this passage? No, Jesus says in the beginning, this parable to show that they ought always to pray. Ought is a command. It's a should. This is how you are to live, Christian. You ought always to pray. In big and in small. In all things. The manner in which we are to live our Christian life is to pray. And so what is prayer? First of all, prayer is power. Prayer is power because in prayer you have the ear of God. The one who flung the stars into the sky and knows them by name. The one who lifts his voice and the mountains melt. The one who speaks a word and creates all of the universe. You have his ear. And the way in which the widow moves the heart of the judge or the mind. God has given us the freedom, the privilege of moving the heart of God. Not like a widow and a judge, but with a child and a parent. Prayer is power. And prayer is personal. Notice that God, this illustration, is a personal relationship. God is personal, and that means God has a personality. Indeed, God is tri-personal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are things that God loves and things that God hates. God is personal and thus we can approach Him in a personal way. Prayer is not a ritual. It's not a lighting of a bunch of candles or touching something or doing A, B, and C, this celestial transaction between God and man. No, it's a dialogue between a child and a parent. And we come not as a widow alone, but we come into the presence of the Father with the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our advocate who stands next to us, our elder brother. It's Christ who brings us, our advocate, our attorney, our righteousness. Prayer is power. Prayer is personal. Prayer is optional. Well, I just said they ought always to pray and give up. Yeah, but the woman didn't have to go, did she? She chose to go. 
She made a decision. And God in His graciousness gives us the same power, the power of choice. The power to choose where we go to have our needs met. So prayer is proactive. We taking that step of faith. Prayer is persistence. Have you ever thought about this question? What? Why do we have to go more than once? I mean, He is our Heavenly Father, right? He knows what we need. The Scriptures say, you know, food and clothing. He knows all of those things. Why does He... Why do we pray sometimes again and again? Now, prayer is something more. God is ultimately interested in relationship over provision. God is not in the transaction business with us. Rather, there is a process that is happening as we go to our loving Father and we ask, and we ask, and we ask. Because faith is not faith until it is tested. Right? I can say to that chair right there, oh yeah, that chair is sturdy, that chair will hold me. Prove it. It's not until I go and I actually sit in that chair and stay for a while that in fact what I believe has translated into how I behave. Think about it. The foundation of any relationship is trust. It's the promises you make that are proved by the promises that you keep. Remember if you're married in that wedding day? When she comes down the aisle and you exchange your vows to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, richer, poor, sickness and in health. It's fairly easy to give those vows. I mean, I remember looking at Lee Ellen. Yes, yes, absolutely. Whatever, I'm in. But how many of us, if we had any idea what we were going to go through, throughout the years might have said a little bit more thought before we said yes. See, for love to be proven, it must be tested. I don't know whether there's going to be love and they're going to love me until there is a worse. I don't know if there's going to be faithfulness and health until there's sickness. I don't know whether there's going to be faithfulness and love until there is poverty. I'm an extremely blessed man because the woman I married, Lee Ellen, has proven to me in all of these particular situations her faithfulness to me. And tested and she has shown herself by her true colors. Many of you know we lost one of our sons. Statistics tell us that 90% of all marriages end in divorce after the loss of a child. I don't know that my relationship with Lee Ellen could be stronger than it is today. And I think a lot of it had to do with that night when we heard and looked at each other, we said we're going to stick together through this. And we're going to make it. And it was the faithfulness of God that gave us the strength. 
See, if you've committed yourself to God, He commits Himself to you. And the Scriptures say, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. And so it's in those situations of need when we ultimately go and turn our eyes on Him that God in His proper time reveals to us, yes, indeed, I am faithful. And every step in our life as we experience victory gives us more and more confidence in Him. Less and less focus about my circumstances, more and more focus on His character. 1 John 5, 4 said, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, my friends, if prayer is belief, prayer is power. So do you pray? Show me how you pray, and I will show you what you believe about God. See, prayer shows me who is in charge of your circumstances. When do you pray? Well, I pray before dinner. You know, it's one of those bless the meal type things. Or only when I'm all out of options. When I'm desperate, when there's nowhere else to turn. But God longs to show us Himself and calls us to pray to Him always. And so pray boldly. Pray expectantly. My eyes are on you. Pray extemporaneously. There's no formula to this thing. God says, look at the Pharisees. They think that they'll be heard because of their many words. But when you pray to your Heavenly Father, just shut the door and go and talk to Him like one would talk to their Heavenly Father. Pray specifically. Specific prayers call for specific results. Here's just a suggestion for you to start praying proactively. Wake up and pray for the events of the day. You ever done that? I got a calendar. I got a host of different things. Lord, I'm just going to give them to you. Pray for your present problems. What's stirring? What's the difficulty? I'm going to go to you first, not last. Pray for your character. God, make me into the person that you want me to be. Pray for your relationships. But pray specifically and boldly like this woman. Because prayer is power. But what you do with prayer, that's up to you. This brings me to my final point. If prayer is belief and prayer is power, prayer is obedience. Notice verse 7. Will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? Justice is at the heart of God. He's not callous and He's not too busy. We just talked about one of the reasons why sometimes He delays because he wants to work on that relationship. But a second reason I believe that he delays is that he's teaching us to learn to pray rightly. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayer because we're praying the wrong thing. God is much more interested in getting me than giving me what I wanted. 
Remember the verse, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? Well, what happens if I ask for a stone? Will he give me a stone because I asked for that? No. My Heavenly Father gives me good things. And so he's teaching me. Prayer reveals my heart. He's teaching me how to pray. So how do we pray? 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God is forcing us to examine the situation and look at it through the eyes and will of God. And we know God's will by looking at His Word. It was E.M. Bounds that said, the Word of God is the fulcrum upon which the lever of prayer is placed and by which things are mightily moved. God has committed Himself, His purpose and His promise to prayer. His Word becomes the basis, the inspiration of our praying. I talked about the fact that life is a trust and life is a test. And so in the day-to-day uh, experiences of life, classes in session. Have you ever dealt with cancer before? The first prayer that everyone will give is prayer for healing for cancer. Indeed, that's probably the first prayer that you will give. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? There's nowhere in the Bible that says God is going to heal you from cancer. The Bible is true, but it's not exhaustive. This may be the very means that you end up dying. But we know because of the resurrection that death is only temporary. No, rather, what is it that I can count on as I go to God in prayer? That He's going to heal me? No. Doesn't mean I don't pray for healing. But I can pray with confidence for this. Lord, give me courage to face these circumstances. Why can I pray for that? Because God promises in His Word that He will give me power in those circumstances. God, give me confidence in You. God promises in His Word that He will give me that confidence. God, give me peace as I go through the circumstances. God promises that He will give me peace. God has storehouses of all of the resources that I need. I'm not in charge of whether he's going to heal me of cancer or not. But what I am in charge to is to pray for these things. Because God ultimately wants to shape and conform me into the image of Christ. And so your circumstances are not arbitrary. Rather, they're a test and a trust. Much like Jesus in the desert when he's hungry and Satan comes to him. What does he do? I'll trust in God's word and what it says. When he's tempted to bow and worship Satan instead of God, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When he's tempted to give up trusting in God for his safety, throw yourself down from the side of the temple. We trust in His Word. We place our prayer on the fulcrum of God's Word. And watch 
as the power of God moves. Jesus finishes with a question. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. God doesn't waste one ounce of pain or one second more than he has to. But nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Greek, actually, you would translate it this way. Will he find the faith on earth? In other words, what Jesus is really saying is, when he comes, will he find this manner of faith practiced by those who follow him on earth? What Jesus is saying is that this type of faith is not optional. It's not for first-class Christians. I love the fact that he chose this widow because it teaches us that this isn't about intelligence or status or about education. It's about your life. So how will you build it? On the promises of God on his power and obedience and faith or on something else. Jesus says in Micah 2, this is what God has commanded you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. At the end of your life, how well you know God will be in large measure by the steps that you take in the day-to-day -day circumstances. Choosing to believe. Choosing to rely on His power. Choosing to be obedient to His Word. My hope for this church and my hope for myself is that we would be able to sing the words of this song this stanza and they would be more than words but true convictions of our heart because throughout the storms of life we have seen God show himself faithful in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Prayer is bringing our persistent weakness to his unstoppable power. Will you begin to do that today? My hope is yes. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this picture. What a beautiful picture of the persistent widow. And what a beautiful, beautiful lens by which we can see your faithfulness, your love and your care and your willingness to step in and intervene as you are in charge of all affairs of our life and direct them for your own purposes. Lord, give us prayer that believes. Help us to put all of our hopes on you. Lord, give us prayer that is persistent, that trusts in your power, 
that we might pray boldly, expectantly, faithfully. Lord, and give us prayer of obedience as we put the weight of our prayers on your word, the promises that you have promised to give us, that we might live with confidence as you mold and shape our character into the likeness of Jesus. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.